This is The Resilient Life, where we believe that every human will struggle in this life. Our challenge is to struggle well. I'm Ryan Mannion. I lost my brother to war, my mom to cancer, and I'm the daughter of a retired Marine. I'm also a wife, mom, author, and president of one of the nation's leading veteran service organizations. Join me and some incredible guests as we explore the value of struggling well through life's inevitable challenges. Welcome to another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Mannion, and I am bringing you our first guest in studio. Super exciting. Uh, Amy Looney is the vice president of the Travis Mannion Foundation, one of my best friends and co-author of the book that we wrote together, The Knock at the Door. Amy, welcome to The Resilient Life. Thank you, Ryan. Super honored to be here and be your first in-person guest in studio. Yeah, awesome. So I was trying to think about, it was funny because I was thinking about how do I start this interview? And, you know, with all of our other guests, even ones I'm close to, there's this kind of natural cadence of, well, I want to talk about this and I want to talk about this. and But we only have an hour and there's so much to to think about in terms of our story together, your story independently. And I think important for our listeners to start off with a little background. Um, so let's start from the beginning. Amy Hastings, born yeah. <laughs> in Maryland, right? Salisbury, Maryland. Okay. Yeah. And you're, you live in Maryland. You're raised by a single mother. And tell us a little bit about your childhood growing up, because I think it is an important stepping stone into who you are as an individual. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. So I, so anyone that knows the Eastern shore, so to say, which is sort of that, what we call slower, lower Delaware that connects with like the, um, the side of Maryland that's close to Salisbury. They're like right on the Mason Dixon line there. Um, I grew up in Delaware, um, was born at, in, in Salisbury, Maryland, and I was around my family all the time. You know, my mom um, has two other sisters. Um, they all had kids. My cousin used to live down the street from me. Um, basically, up until the age of 13, I really never left the state of Delaware or that little, like, tri-state area in Maryland. So I, I grew up, I don't want to say sheltered, but I wasn't really exposed to a lot. Um, my family was pretty tight-knit. My grandfather started a furniture company that is now one of the largest furniture companies on the Eastern Shore in Delaware called Johnny Genosics. So we were raised um, very close. You know, I was with my grandparents all the time and I was the oldest grandchild. So often I was responsible for, you know, my younger cousins kind of like leading the pack on things. And, you know, my mom always referred to me as like a mini adult, even when I was younger. So it's kind of like interesting to see as I've evolved and, people kind of look to me and some of my strengths lie around like discipline and responsibility. And I'm like, you know, a lot of this started when I was a young kid. And like my mom will even joke that, you know, she was a single mom. My parents were divorced when I was four, but she was always running around. She was very career focused. So I would be like the person that kind of ran the household for her. So I would like leave her post-its on her car, like, mom, you need gas tomorrow. So it's just like <laughs> funny because now I feel like as I've gotten older, like 
I'm always kind of doing that to like my friends, like, don't forget it's so-and-so's birthday or, you know, at work, don't forget we've got this going on and this has to be done by this deadline. So it's little things like that, that kind of growing up in that, you know, small environment, but being like kind of in charge of all the other cousins and, and whatnot, like kind of led me to sort of this role that I'm in now. I can totally see that. And <laughs> I mean, you are, you are, I think from the moment I met you, you always had this kind of motherly, you're, you're motherly. Like I, you know, when we first met, um, well, let's, let's kind of kick it back. So we first meet in, I was trying to think about what year it was. And I think it was probably maybe 2001, 2002 was, I remember mm. you came to my parents' house in Annapolis. And at the time you were dating my brother's roommate, at the Naval Academy, Brendan Looney. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I don't remember if we even said anything to each other, but I remember you being in the house. And I knew you as Brendan Looney's girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And you and Brendan get married and you start building a life for each other, with each other. And um, Brendan is serving in the Navy, Travis is serving in the Marine Corps. Travis is killed. And I think it really was after Travis was killed that you and Brendan became closer in my life and in my world. Um, and I always talk about, I always say that, you know, one of the things that brought me so much uh, comfort after Travis was killed was being around his friends because I always felt like there was a part of him in the room when they were there. And I often and probably always use Brendan as that example because even with everything he had going on he was very much there for our family and in concert so were you as a right. as a result of that um I remember seeing you at the funeral I think that was kind of the next time that you came to Travis's funeral and um you came with Brendan's brother mm -hmm. and um <clears throat> And I remember you being there because it was just, it was one of those things where when Brendan was uh, serving, he was right. going through SEAL training through yep. BUDS. Through BUDS, yep. And so he couldn't be there. And you came with his brother, Billy, and Billy broke down and you were there. And, and right after you guys came through the line at the viewing, I actually was like, I got to take a break. And I went outside because I just like needed a minute. And I didn't want to miss anybody in that line but I just, I needed that minute to like regroup yeah. because seeing you, um, it was just, I don't know. There was something about it that made it like very real. Yeah. Like, yeah. Here's other people that are impacted. Obviously your loss is super significant because it's your brother, but at the same time, it's also like, wow, these are people that are also impacted by the loss of my brother. Right. And I think it was, yeah. And it, I think that's, that's totally it because while you and I weren't close, I knew the friendship that you and Brendan had with Travis. Mm -hmm. And it was like seeing these people that had this whole other relationship with my brother that I wasn't necessarily a part of and right. seeing how deeply affected they were by his loss. That was something that just kind of took my breath away, uh, in the moment. Um, so I don't want to get too linear, but I'm just trying to, you know, so I'm, but I, I want people to get to the path of where we are today, right, you right. know? And, um, 
So after, uh, after Travis's death, um, again, you and Brendan were very much there for my family. I mean, I, I even remember, it's funny. Uh, I remember the last email that I got from Brendan and oh, really? yes. And he sent me an email because you were working at, was it Bath and Body Works? No, no. Heather, Heather worked. Oh no. Bath where did you work? Coach. Coach. Yep. You were working yep. at coach. And he said, Amy, Amy's looking to get outside. And I was working at the Travis Mannion Foundation at this point. Yeah. And he's like, Amy's looking to advance her career. She's been working in retail for a long time and she wants to do something different. And he had sent an email about like, you know, about where, yeah. what was, you know, what was the path you took in leaving, you know, retail? I mean, retail, right. I was I running shop. my clothing yeah. stores and, um, and it was just funny. And I, and I wrote him back. And then I re, he sent my dad kind of a similar one, but more like, Amy's looking to maybe get into the pharmaceutical industry. <laughs> and lo and behold, you did. Right. But um, but yeah, he sent that email. That was the last email. Not that I received a lot of emails from Brendan, but um, yeah. that was the last email he sent me. It's, it's crazy because I had completely spaced on that entire like time and era because it seems like it was so long ago. But it's funny because I remember... Brendan telling me, like, I think this will be a good transition for you, you know, in, in retail, as you know, like, you know, you were managing people that were, you know, there's constant turnover, you're dealing with all kinds of different dynamics, you're working crazy hours. And Brendan, obviously, you know, going through training to be a SEAL, was working and training and doing ridiculous things already. So we're like, in order to make our family life better, something's got to give. Yeah. So I was talking about, you know, I'd always worked in some sort of sales position or management or something that was like customer service related. And I had known someone um, that was in the pharmaceutical business and they were like, you know, you would be great in pharmaceutical sales. So I kind of like started doing some research. We put two and two together, obviously, that your dad, I think was still with J&J yeah. at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, he was like, well, let me just put out some feelers. And then I remember because Brendan started talking to me. He's like, yeah, you don't really know Ryan super well. But like, you know, Travis had always told me that, you know, you guys have so much in common, like just some of your interests and just, you know, the way that you the way that you two carry yourself. He's like, I think that you all would just really get along. And we never really got to know each other really until after you know, I mean, we had met with your parents and sure. I think maybe you were there once or twice, mm -hmm. but then it was like the next thing we know after Brennan sent that email, um, a couple months later was when he was killed in Afghanistan. So yeah. it's like crazy. Cause I remember that year you sent me a Facebook requ friend request. Oh, like I did. After. This is like how <laughs> I remember it. I don't remember that. Yeah. Okay. And, and I was like, I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, Brendan, because he was in Afghanistan and he's like, this is how you're spending my time. Like the one hour I get to talk to you. And I'm like, Ryan sent me a Fred request. And I was super excited about it because I was like, this is, this is definitely the start of like us getting to know each other. Better. Oh my gosh. That's too funny. So I was funny. like scoping your pictures and stuff. Oh um, my like, gosh. We would get along. What did my Facebook look like in Heck, 2009? I don't know. I know. That's a little right? scary. So that email comes and. Then a few months later, Brendan's killed in Afghanistan. And I talk about this a little bit in the book that we wrote together, but, you know, I'll, I'll never forget, well, obviously I'll never forget the day Brendan was killed, but there was a couple things that happened that day. Number one, I was in 
I was in the office with my mom when Brendan's mom called and I, I share, you know, it was like a blood curdling scream that came through the other side of her office was right next to mine. And it was just this blood curdling scream. And I heard her screaming, not Brendan. And I kind of just knew I was like, oh my gosh, Brendan Looney's dead. Like I knew. And, and then from there, my mom, I actually called my dad. I went outside because my mom was like, could not function. And I'm like, I'm going to go call my dad. And I called my dad and he was at work at J and J and he just started crying. And, and I talk about, you know, I, the first time I ever saw my dad cry in my life was at Travis's, it wasn't at his funeral. It was when Travis came from Dover and they flew him to the hangar in Willow Grove. And I was standing next to him and he was bawling and there was hundreds of people around and I was like, oh my God, my dad's crying. And that really scared me. Um, Then over the course of that week, I saw him cry more times. And I'm like, okay, my dad actually does cry, you know? But first time I ever saw him cry, never saw him cry after that. And then he just broke down when I told him that Brendan had been killed. And my parents knew right away that they were heading to Maryland. They were going to get right. to the Looney family. And we went to, we went, we actually went out to get pizza that night. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it was like afternoonish, And they were like, I said, let's regroup, let's eat. And we went to Jules. Um, the pizza place right in Doylestown. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. And so we went to Jules to get pizza and it was my dad, my mom, Maggie and I. And so Maggie at this point is what? So she's probably like four. four? Yeah. yeah. Maybe almost four because she was 10 months when Travis was killed. So she's, she's just about four. We're eating our pizza and everybody is so on edge. And, and basically we were like sitting there to formulate a plan. Mm-hmm. So my mom and dad were like, we're going down tonight. We're going to drive tonight. And I was like, okay, you get down there and tell me when you want me to come. And so lo and behold, we're sitting there and there was this rock wall. Um, And nobody's paying attention to Maggie because we're all just like, you know, we're in a state of shock. We're trying to figure out logistics. And Maggie's walking across this like stone wall that connects to the the drive where you come up to pick up the drive-through. And... I remember my dad or my mom or someone said, Maggie, sit down. So she's sitting on the edge of this wall and she just falls backwards and just hits her head. Like, I mean, and she probably fell a good six, seven feet and just fell off the back of the wall. And it brought me back to this place because after Travis was killed, I said that I was like kind of this incapable of like parenting for a little bit. Right. Um, and when Maggie fell off that wall, I was like, oh my God, I have to pay attention to what's happening right here in front of me. And I remember being like, okay, I'm taking my daughter home. Like, and we got her. She was fine. She was, but it was just this like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't, I can't express like what it, it, there was something significant about it happening because it I felt like it was taking me back to when Travis died, right? right. And all of a sudden I was here again and I was sitting here with my same daughter and I was fearful of what was going on with her three years ago and fast forward, you know, I mean, it was a little blip, but it was something that, um, that got me worked up. I don't want to go through everything, but I think important to know that after Brendan was killed, Mm -hmm. 
you and I became pretty much inseparable. And it was from the moment I walked in that door um, and I just walked up to you and I remember hugging you and um, Allie, your sister-in-law, I felt like her and I were your keepers for a little bit. Um, Oh, I mean, it's so true because I, I felt like, you know, there was just so much, even though our losses were different, I knew that you were someone that really understood how significant this loss could be mm-hmm. and how it is. And you've you've spent the last three and a half years dealing with your loss. So it gave me some sort of hope and inspiration that like, okay, someone in this room actually understands and knows and can help guide me on how I should be processing this. Yeah. And that was at that time, and you know, right immediately after someone dies, it's like, you just need that glimmer of hope. Like you need something to hold on to because everything else has completely fallen apart. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I, it's funny because I think I feel a little bit like I was, I was trying to push you to do some things that, you know, I, I, I was just talking with somebody about this. I can't remember who it was, but we were oh we were talking about the video that it was kind of our first video and it was the CBS news clip and it was Travis yeah. uh, the story about Travis and Brendan so after Travis or Brendan is killed um you know the people pick up that it was Naval Academy roommates that had been killed 3 years apart and um and so the media started reaching out and i remember CBS evening news wanted to run a story and I didn't even, I didn't even go up to you. I went to Allie. I was like, Allie, <laughs> um, CBS News wants to do a story on Brendan and Travis. And um, and she's like, and I said, and they want to talk to Amy. And she's like, oh, I don't know if that's going to work. <laughs> and, but I remembered saying to her because it was something, again, the only person that could express knowing moving forward, what it was going to look like was me. Like nobody had right. been there. Right. And right. and I knew that looking back, you would want people to know his story. Right. right. And, right. and I didn't want you to regret not being able to share the person that he was with the mm-hmm. world. And, um, so again, I don't know what Allie said to you, but you agreed to do it. And well, she basically told me because she's like, I know you're a very private person and I know you're not in a good spot right now, but she she basically said exactly what you just said and that's how she really got got me to do it was the fact that you want people to know Brendan you want them to know his story and i will make sure that i take care of finding you an outfit you know the smallest things that suddenly you become incapable of managing in your life right. and you know for someone like me who's like on it like 24/7 that was really hard for me mm-hmm. to have someone be like, I'm going to plan this out for you, yep. put you in these clothes, and then you're going to talk about this and you're going to do. But that's what I needed at that time. And I didn't even realize it. So whatever you said to Allie is exactly what she then turned around and said to me. There you go. So, oh, yeah. So I could have just said it to you. But myself. I probably wouldn't have done it if that wasn't how it was worded to me. Well, yeah. And I think, <laughs> you know, and, and looking back, I mean, that – interview is so beautiful and it's one that we still use today to talk about their friendship and what they represented to this country um it wasn't you know i know you look back and kind of cringe because you're crying in it but like 
you're looking into the eyes of a woman who just lost her husband 72 hours prior. I mean, the, the rawness and the vulnerability in you being able to get out there, I think, um, is incredible, you know? And yeah. And it's one, and, and just so I can pat myself on the back, are you happy you did that interview? Yes. Yes. I mean, there's, I I think about just, and I know we'll get into this, so I don't want to rush too far ahead, but just over the course of our friendship and even our working relationship, like I think of how many things that you're like, you have to do this, like you got to do this. And I always, you know, one of the things I always talk about is like how someone who hated change has now embraced change and has learned how to grow and prosper from it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like sometimes if you didn't give me these little plugs or these little like snippets to push me to do it, I always am like, oh, I don't want to do this. And then I do it and I feel so good about how it came out, what people are going to think about it and the message that came from it. So so yes, I'll give you your pat on the back. There you go. I know that's what I'm you're, at, you're actually not the first person that that classifies me as someone that pushes them to do things they don't want to do. Yeah. I'm, I'm told that by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, I think the reason for that is because a lot of times I push myself to do things that I don't want to do. And like you said, when you come out on the other side and you get that feeling of like, oh my God. I, I'm so glad right. I did this, right. you know? And so it's about kind of giving that feeling and that mm-hmm. opportunity to other people. Yeah. Um, so you joined TMF. You joined the Travis Mannion Foundation after, I'm, is it, what, how many years after Brendan did you join us? I mean, it was, well, let's see. I've been with the foundation for about eight now, just mm-hmm. over eight. So I want to say it was in 20, it was, no, it was right. It was in May of 2012. So May it was 2012. right after your mom passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and it's funny. I don't know. I don't know if you talk about this in the book, but the way you joined TMF, um, I love how people a lot of times are. They want to know the strategy of how we decided to open up our West Coast office and what was the, <laughs> you know, what was the the plan behind that. And I'm like, well, the plan behind that is that. Amy said she wanted to work there. at TMF, <laughs> and my mom was like, "Great, we'll open up an office." And 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 you so you said, <laughs> "I want to work at TMF, but I live in San Diego." And my mom and and my mom was she was so sick at the time. If you I remember, know. you and I were sitting in bed with her. We were in DC. She came for the marathon, marathon. Yep. but she was so sick she couldn't get out of bed. And you and I were sitting on the bed with her, and. You, you were talking about how you were just not finding purpose or feeling fulfilled doing yeah. um, pharmaceutical work anymore, pharmaceutical sales. And my mom said, well, why don't you come work at the foundation? And you said, well, I can't because I live in San Diego. And my mom <laughs> said, well, okay, we'll just open up an office in San Diego. And two weeks after she passed away, we sat there and cut the ribbon on our San Diego office. I know. Um and so it's just, I mean, it's incredible to think. Um, and I probably would have, I probably would have said to you, had my mom not been there, I'd have been like, well, you've got to move to Doylestown, Pennsylvania, if you want to work here. So that's what I loved about her more than anything is she was willing to take risks mm-hmm. and say, no, we're going to do this and we're going to be bold and we're going to move forward. Like, and we're not going to worry about um, the secondary effects. We're just going to try it. Yeah. And yeah, so I, I just, I love that 
you know, some of our values are centered around who she was as a person mm-hmm. and how she pushed our organization forward. Yeah. No, and that's, and honestly, like, I always love thinking that when I started at TMF, it was because I really had the backing of your mom. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we've obviously grown exponentially over the years and things have changed and, but there's still something about just the person that she was, what she stood for. I love that she was always, I mean, she would call me like at least once a week or text me and just, I don't even remember if texting was a thing back then, but I felt like I oh got texted. Oh my God, what, what do you mean texting I had a Blackberry. I had a Blackberry. It took me a while to get to the iPhone. <laughs> she didn't BBM me. <laughs> um, but I just love that she would always, like she was always thinking about me and just making sure that I was okay. And mm-hmm. I felt like eventually she recognized when I got to the place that I needed something more because I just was like, I've accepted that this loss has happened. I've kind of gone through a lot of these firsts that I have to deal with after Brennan's death. But like, now what do I do? Like, how do I continue being a value? And what does my like life look like without Brendan? And I feel like that that's when it really meant so much to me. And, you know, I started out volunteering. I think your mom and James Brobin um, roped me into uh, volunteering to lead the uh, 9-11 Heroes run out in San Diego. And yeah. I felt like they were just slowly pushing. And then that was like, once I, you know, you go to one of our 9-11 Heroes run, these large community events, you know, pre-COVID, that, that bring people together and you're there to honor and remember and to do something powerful to acknowledge what happened on September 11th mm-hmm. and those that we've lost at that time and in the war since. And it was just really powerful for me to get that feeling like people care. People want a community. They want to be a value and they want to continue serving and, and, and demonstrating their appreciation and their thanks. And to me, that was something I'm like, people still care about Brendan. He may not be here with us, but this is really important to me. And then it was like, I was sold. You're hooked. <laughs> she fed you the Kool-Aid. I, I, I drank the Kool-Aid. Hey, yep. d- hey, host a 9-11 yeah. Heroes run. <laughs> this will be good. Well, no, and I think, I, I say it all the time. I mean, obviously, I don't even have to ask you. It goes without saying. I give all of this away, what we do every day, to have Travis and Brendan back and... But I also look at how incredibly lucky we are to do what we do having lost them, mm-hmm. right? And the the idea that, and you know, the Travis Manning Foundation is so much more than any one person or two people, but, you know, it's personal to us. It's mm-hmm. It's the inception of the organization right. centers around... Travis and Brendan. And, you know, every day we're given the opportunity to do things in their in their name. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty powerful. And I think, you know, that leads me into a little bit, I'd love to get into a little bit of our mentality around um, what it means to be a survivor mm-hmm. of a fallen service member. And... One of the things I wanted to talk about, I was thinking about this, was I wanted to play the game, what's the stupidest thing someone said to you after after Brendan was killed? Wow. Yeah. That's... You're like, there's so many. I don't so even many. know where to begin. 
Um, I don't know which one. I'd have to really think about which one was like the one that kind of stung the most. But I know what really bugged me early on was when people would pretty much just discount the fact that like as a young widow, like people would come up and they'd be like, don't worry, you're going to be just fine. Like you're, you're, you're young, kind, you're, you're young, you're pretty, like you'll, you'll, you'll be just fine. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, are you completely discounting the fact that like, you know, I have, I, I've been married, I've been dating this person for, you know, five years before we got engaged and we got married and we're only 29 years old. So that's, you know, really essentially what, like a third of my life at that point. So to me, I just felt, I know that they meant well, but I feel like sometimes people don't know what to say. So they just start saying something. Mm -hmm. And I've always said that if there's one thing, even when I talk to other friends that have gone through similar experiences or have reached out to me to say like, Hey, I have this friend, like, you know, her, her husband died and I don't know what to do. Like I always tell people like, just be mindful. Like it's actually better to just listen and be like, I'm so sorry. Like I can't relate, but like, I'm here for you. You know, let's just, you know, you keep talking and I'll listen, you know, because I think it's okay to acknowledge that you're not an expert at something. And quite frankly, I know you and I have talked about nobody wants to be an expert in the field of loss and And grief. grief. Yeah. You know, because the only way you get it is if you've gone through it. Well, it's funny too, because I have seen just recently in the last couple of years, I've seen it more than once um, through video, I I saw it in a video I watched and it was talking about how to comfort families of fallen service members, but I guess greater at large people that lose a loved one. It said things not to say, I'm sorry for your loss. And I'm like, well, that's what I say. I say that today. If I, I, and I truly mean that. And I said, and I'm thinking, well, why, why wouldn't you say that? You have to be given something that you can say. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's a great statement. And so I completely dif- disagree. And of course, this was somebody with a a PhD in grief therapy. Uh, you know, I got my PhD in the School of Hard Knocks. But like, <laughs> I, I feel like it is completely appropriate to say to someone, I'm sorry for your loss. Because why you may not have experienced that same loss, you can still feel... You, you have empathy for the yeah, situation. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you don't want to... You don't want to be in those shoes. You don't want to have to go through that. So simply by taking a step back and acknowledging and feeling remorse for what that person is going for, mm-hmm. I think is perfectly fine. I would have much preferred someone said, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry for, for your, your loss. loss versus the variety of other things that I I think I heard. the thing that bothered me, and I got it from multiple people, and again, I know that they were trying to be kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they, they were trying to say something that wasn't meant to hurt, but it did, um, is, and you know, remember when Travis was killed, it was 2007. It was the height of the Iraq war was the, you know, the surge Mm -hmm. as they called it. And so things were very hot. Um, there was, the country was very divided on the direction that the, the conflict was being taken. Right. And so I had multiple people that would say, yeah, it's such a shame, you know, and they'd bash the president and say, you know, all these young men dying for nothing. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And I remember I was actually getting my hair cut 
and I was lying back in the chair and the woman was washing my hair and she said something like that. And I was just lying there. My eyes were closed and I was like, I just like lost. And I'm like, well, my brother believed in what he was doing. And, you know, and I just kind of went off and she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it that way. And I'm like, well, yeah, then, yeah. then just, then don't say, if just you didn't mean it that anything. way, then don't yeah. say it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's not meant to scare people into right. not saying stuff to yeah. people that lose someone. But I think you just have to be very sensitive about and choose your words carefully. But yeah. I think, I think that's great advice. If you've got nothing, just, just listen. You know, just yep. say, I'm, I'm here to listen. Yep. I'm here for you. And, and I always say, cause I'll have people that'll call me and say, you know, my friend lost their sister or my friend lost a parent. And mm -hmm. I don't know how to, I don't know what I should do. And I'm asking them what they want or what they need. And they, they're saying they don't need anything. I'm like, well, first of all, nobody, if I would have gone up to you, uh, when I got to the Looney's house and said, Amy, what do you need? You're not going to say, oh, I need X, Y, and Z. You, you don't even know don't what even you know need. what I need. And yeah. so I always say you have to kind of anticipate and you have to assess the situation right. and determine what someone needs. Right. And that simply, that could be a meal. That could be, um, you know, cutting the their lawn. lawn. Yeah. I know. I was like, that's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> so just looking at that kind of stuff, I'm like, you have to be pretty proactive yeah. um, in identifying what you think yeah. someone needs. And you're better off just taking time and go ask a friend of a friend or someone that maybe knows the situation a little bit more closely than you. Because I always appreciated when, you know, you mentioned Allie kind of being like my point person, like people would go up to Allie and finally like Allie and I would be in a moment, you know, later on in the night and we were relaxed or having a glass of wine or something. And I was like in an okay spot. And then she'd be like, so what do you think about this? You know, cause someone would mention it to her and then she'd find that right time to bring it up to me when I was more receptive to it right? and could process like what someone actually wanted to do. And then there were, you know, she was also my buffer to the point where she's like, uh, no, Amy would absolutely not want anyone to do that for her. She would be mortified. Yeah. <laughs> so she could kind of like, you know, I, I just encourage people that if you don't know, go and ask someone and figure out what's the best way to do and, it's okay to wait a little bit too. Sometimes yeah. people, those initial like several months, even within that first year, you don't even know what ends up half the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I couldn't even tell you one thing I really did that first year after Brendan died or one decision that I made that seemed like it was a good one other than, other than ensuring that Brendan was buried next to Travis. I think that was the only decision that I actually made that year that, that, that makes sense, made sense then. And it makes sense now. Yeah. You know? Yep. Um, I'm glad you made that decision for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, it leads into this idea of what to say, what, what you should say, what you shouldn't say, but more in, in general terms, like what it means to be a survivor. And I'll tell you, sometimes that word bothers me because I'm like a survivor. Like, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't, frankly, I don't, all the time right. feel worthy of that term. Like, I don't want to be called a survivor. Right. Right. You know, I, I'm, I'm the sister of a fallen Marine. Um, he's the one that sacrificed, right? He's the one that served, you know? Um, and, but I think there is a stigma and we've talked about this a lot. There's a stigma again around families of fallen service members. And, uh, just like there's a stigma around our, 
returning veterans that they're all broken, right. that they're all dealing with PTSD, that they're all struggling right. with mental health issues. Um, when in fact, the majority of them um, aren't, you know, right. and we still have to support the ones who are 100%. But I think there's also a stigma around families of fallen service members that they're all broken too. Right. That um, part of it is, I think, the mystique that no one can fully understand yeah. um, that sort of pain and um, what happens. Right. But I think, you know, people have a lack of understanding for the fact that, you know, people do rise up, they do move on and they right. do go to do some amazing things. Right. Um, well, but I think, you know, I yeah, mean, I mean, I think, I think society as a whole doesn't really understand how to deal with grief and loss because it's always been even earlier on, you know, you see, you know, family members that show up, they wear all black. It's very traditional. Nobody talks about it. It's like, it's, it's kind of like the the elephant in the room, you mm -hmm. know, like, you know, it happened and you know, it's there, but we're just going to kind of brush it off. And I feel, I feel like in some ways it's almost like survivors, they, it's almost like because people don't know how to handle it, they almost just automatically assume the worst mm -hmm. because they can't fathom what that person has been to. Been, been through so that they automatically they kind of like write them off at that point yeah they assume that they like you know need all this time they need coddling and they need you know nothing that reminds them of the person that that they lost mm -hmm. which is what we found completely the opposite you know like i actually really thrive on the opportunities when i do get to talk about brendan now and again yeah. you know it's not it's, it's not as often as it was, but I do appreciate having the memories and things that, that make me laugh. You know, I try to focus on the good times and, and, and what you can take from that, you know? Yeah. And I think I, there was a really pivotal moment, I think not only in our friendship, but just in the way that we both viewed ourselves as family members of fallen service members and how we wanted the rest of the country to look at this group of individuals outside of just me and you, but the collective group. And it was at a seminar that you and I were both at in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And we were at the seminar and it was, it was a great event. And there was, I, I would probably say over a hundred um, families of fallen service members there. And there was a lot of different, um, modules that were taking place around different things as you know and 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 everybody was in a different phase in their grief right. you know at this point i was probably four years out you're maybe one year out mm -hmm. um and there was a a woman that got up i think she was a doctor she had some sort of degree in psychology or um and she did this kind of joking thing where she mm -hmm. came in from the bathroom and she had toilet paper hanging out of the back of her pants, like in her pocket, right? Yeah. Like a trail of toilet paper. Yeah. And she pulled it out. And you remember this? Yeah. I actually, it's funny what we remember and what we don't, but I actually was just talking about this on Tuesday because I was doing a panel discussion and someone was asking me about like, you know, why did you choose this path in life? How yeah. did you get there? And I thought they actually put a box of tissues I think there were boxes of tissues on okay. our table too. See, I but, remember her with it, putting it down and being like, 
it's okay to cry every single day yeah. of your life if that's what you want to do. Yes. So she's, that's what she said to us. She looked at everyone in the room and said something to the effect of, it's okay if you want to cry every single day for the rest of your life. Almost like you, you've earned that. Right. Um, no one has been through what we've been through. And, um, and that choice is ours and ours alone. And, and it, and I remember you and I just looked at each other and we both were like, no, like no way. And we kind of sat through the rest of the presentation. And afterwards I was like, I'm not, I'm not subscribing to this. No. And you were like, ditto. Yeah. I mean, I, no one can explain the feeling that you feel after losing a loved one. And it's very hard to take and imagine that feeling, just that awful, like you feel depressed, you just feel miserable, lonely. I mean, you name it. I can't imagine crying and feeling and feeling that way every single day of my life. And why would you want to stay in that right, place? Right? right. Right. And so, and it wasn't, uh, we say, and we've said it in, and we've said it in our book, like, I'm not going to measure your grief against my grief right. against someone else's grief. But the fact of the matter is, is that I want to live a life worthy of Travis's sacrifice. And that's how I look at it. It's not about me. It's not about whether or not I want to cry every single day and stay in my bed. It's about, is that what my loved one would want me to do? And I'd be challenged to find someone that's going to say, oh yeah, my my husband or my brother or my my father would want me to stay curled up in a ball. No, they wouldn't. They want you to live a life. They right. want you to go on living. And right. so that was a really pivotal moment for us working together mm-hmm. at the Travis Manning Foundation because we're working with families of the this fallen community. ourselves, yeah. right? And and I remember we started to identify like, well, what do what does our work with families of fallen service members look like? And how does it differ, differ from these very traditional senses of working with psychologists who are working you through and and frankly giving you advice like this right and um and that's kind of where our our theory started to evolve in this idea of the best way to honor the fallen is by challenging the living right Right. and we challenge ourselves by going out and serving in our loved one's name right right um and doing things that that push us to be more and mm -hmm. You know, like even when we were talking earlier about, you know, you pushing me to go do this and I'm like, oh, I don't really want to, but I'll do it. I feel so much more empowered and I feel like, wow, I've actually accomplished something that I never even thought I was capable of doing. Mm -hmm. And that has so much power in just your own individual growth. And I feel immensely grateful for the fact that like while doing these things that challenge and push me out of my comfort zone, I'm learning and growing and developing and and building myself up again, but I'm also able to carry on and honor Brennan's legacy. And that really intertwined with that personal growth and development has just been instrumental for me over these years. I think one of the biggest things, so we do at the Travis Manning Foundation, we do, um, they're called expeditions, survivor expeditions, where we're taking families of fallen service members all across the world, essentially, to serve for a week in honor of their loved ones. And, and it was this idea of honoring the fallen by 
by challenging ourselves right. to do more, right? right? To give back. And it's crazy because I'm these trips start happening and I'm hearing, I mean, you're doing all sorts of crazy stuff. You're like Montu Picchu, you're um swimming the English, the Channel. English Channel. Really, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, and I'm just like, yeah, go girl, you're doing good. Keep it up. But every time you came back, you would talk to me about how like life-changing these experiences were. And it took me a while to, you know, I was I was the one out there selling them. I was out there finding the people to provide the financial support to keep these going. But I really wasn't ready myself to take that leap to go on an expedition. And I don't know how it came to be, but I kept hearing about our Guatemala expedition. And we had probably been there like six six times at least, yeah. um, taking groups to Guatemala. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know if I just said I want to go to Guatemala, but and then I was like, and you have to come with me. I don't know how. I that mean, whole I definitely thing. made yeah. you come. Yeah, no, no, no. You definitely because. Well, yeah. I mean, you were open to it. It's just funny because I think it goes back to like you know the the differences between you and I. While while we are very similar in many ways, like I'll be the first to go and do some like crazy you know physical challenge but you'll be the first to like jump up and like speak to like three hundred three thousand people with like no prep you know <laughs> so it's just funny how I like had to convince you and like you've always convinced me to do some of these things that yeah. aren't really in my comfort zone yeah but it was it was cool that when you actually went you know it's always like I, I used to tell people all the time I'm like you just have to go on them like it's hard to explain you know, you have to go in with an open mind and you have to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I think vulnerability, it, it's hard. You know, you're putting yourself out there. You're being open to whatever that allows you to do. But I think you've learned that sometimes when you're a little bit more vulnerable, you tend to learn more about yourself. Yeah. And I'm, I'm definitely not good at being vulnerable, like at all. It's something that I have to work on a lot. Um, I don't like letting my guard down, but I think going into Guatemala in a situation like that, I was able to, Yeah. um, because it was just like, okay, this is like a a safe space. You were there. Um, you brought husband, Joel, you brought there, you brought, but Joel and you weren't married yet. No, 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 no. It was right before. Yes. You were, you were engaged at the time and I brought my cousin and I'm like, okay, I'm going to bring my cousin. And she's also a nurse in case something happens. <laughs> and so I felt like I had like, I felt like I had a crew that was there to protect me. But then when we got there, the group that we were with was so incredible too. Yeah. And, you know, we show up in this third world country and it's one of those things. And, and of course you hear it, but you all of a sudden anything that we've experienced you're looking at how these people are living and you're yes. just like god if there's ever like the idea of someone telling me you can cry every day for the rest of your life look at these people right. that are just living with such and and that's the thing that got me about guatemala is how happy everybody was mm-hmm. all these families i mean literally living under tarps they and they, had, they don't know any different. And they had the most positive attitude. Yeah. And they were so incredibly grateful that we were there. And I needed that. I needed that because I needed to come back and 
I needed that dose of perspective, yeah, yes, you know, yes, and, yes, and, um, it was, I was able to come back and be reflective and, and also kind of look at where I was within my own life, within my own journey through mm-hmm. grief. And, you know, I always say people are like, when uh, you get this too, like, well, when's it going to stop hurting? And I'm like, well, I mean, when you stop breathing, right, you know, right, I like, right. that's, that's the best it's answer. with you. Yes, it's yeah. always with you. But you know what I always say today? I'm like, oh my God, if it wasn't with me, that would make me more upset. Right. Imagine if all of a sudden you just had no feelings about- and No connection. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I want that feeling. Right. I want to grieve for my brother. Right. I want to know that those feelings are there because it makes it real, right? Yeah. And yeah. Um, it reminds you that you still have that connection to that person. Yeah. And no matter how many years pass- no matter how many things change, right? Um, you're not going to lose that connection. So, you know, so I think that is really when you look at how we look at what it means to be a family member of a fallen service member, I'm, I don't want people to think that we're like, get up and do something. Right. That's not it. Right. But I always say that we're kind of step two, right? We're step two in the process. If you're looking to push yourself right. to move forward and to do things in right. challenge yourself, like right. come find Amy and Ryan. Right. Because we'll Absolutely. we will we will, we will show go you how to do and it. we will show you how, how yeah. to do it. And and we've done it ourselves, you know? Yeah. And you don't have to do it alone. And I think that's the the biggest thing that I had to get over was that I felt very alone after Brendan's loss, that it was just really wonderful to have like someone, you know, like you and, and others that I've shared experiences with on our expeditions, like be a part of something that just is truly, it it changed my life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you bring up that whole concept of perspective. And I think a lot of what, how I kind of get through things today is I always, I think my perspective has changed for the better Mm -hmm. because I now understand when I think like, oh, this is the worst thing that's happened to me. Uh, no, this isn't the worst thing that has happened to me. And it can help me rationalize how to get through a situation because yeah. I've already been through something so traumatic. Mm-hmm. So now it's like I have those those tools kind of built in me that I've developed over the years to help me kind of navigate how do I get past this? And I and I just think it all comes back to perspective. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and I, you know, I think another thing is it's it's funny because I remember when we first lost Travis, I would look at people that were further out from their loss and I was actually scared to be those people because I couldn't imagine being at a place where you'd see these like 10 years since I lost my loved one. And I'm like, oh my God, I never want to be in a place where it's been 10 years, right? Right. I wanted to stay in that bubble a little bit, Mm -hmm. that one year, two year. I felt like people, not that you want them to sympathize or empathize with you, but like that they were more understanding that you were dealing with something, right? right? And and I was like, well, if I'm 10 years out, people are going to just expect me to be normal and I'm not going to be able to be normal again. And um. And again, uh, getting back to that idea of perspective, you know, here I am 13 years out and um, I feel like I'm in such a good place in terms of how 
not that I've accepted his loss, right. but that I'm able to look at it in a different way. Um, right. And so I think that's all to say, like, don't don't be scared for the days be, to pass, you right. know? Right. Um, right. You just, and, and I feel like, I, I felt the exact same way. Like I, you know, I just hit the 10 year mark this past September mm-hmm. and that was huge for me. And I was even telling, you know, Allie and one of my other, you know, girlfriends, I was like, I don't think it really hit me until about the day before because, you know, we made the big move out to Illinois and other things were going on. And then all of a sudden it hit me and I got a lot of anxiety around the fact that like, I just hit double digits, yeah. you know, and I, it made me wonder like, well, do people think that I don't, I don't love Brendan anymore. Like now I'm 10 years out. This puts me in a new well, yeah. category. And you're 10 years out. Anxiety. You're remarried yeah. and you have a child. Right. And, and that's something I will say, Amy, that's something that I've always felt for you because Travis was my brother. I, I'm not going to go out and get a new brother. Um, I feel like I have a lot of people in my life now that I consider brothers because they've you embraced do. me in such a big way. And and But it's not like, oh, she got a new brother, so she's probably fine. And so, you know, you went on to find love again, um, to have a child. And, you know, I, I think there's probably people out there that are like, well, I mean, uh, sorry, it's been 10 years, but she's married and she's got a kid, you know? Right. And and I've never had to deal with that because it's like, he's always my brother, right? And, yeah. and Brendan's always your your husband, right? Right, but, of course. But there definitely are people that probably take that sort of... Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, like we've talked about in the beginning, there's people that say things and people have said, but like, you know, how could you still be sad by this? Like, you got the opportunity to, you know, find love again and you have a daughter and these things that you've always wanted. And I'm like... Well, of course. And, you know, if this was the way that my life was supposed to be, then, you know, I've, I've learned a lot from it. You know, I certainly don't, you know, I don't know if I'd say I would change anything. Of course, I would love to take back some of these experiences and things that we have gone through and, and gone through together. But it is hard because I think people sometimes, especially like in the spouse role, they think of you finding love again as a replacement for the old. Right. And that's, definitely a narrative that I, I I just, I can't get on board with, you know, it's different. And I mean, you know, Joel. Well, I think you've said two things, (laughs) two things to me before that I love. Number one is, well, actually Joel said it at your wedding. Um, he said, I thank Brendan for creating the woman that I went on to marry. Right. Like, Right. Brendan was a part of shaping who you are. And the reason Joel fell in love is because of that person. Right. 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 And, and I'll never forget. So I was going to, I was going to dive in a little bit to your like funny dating history oh. when you, when you, when you came around to this idea. And for those that don't like, not that everybody knows, nobody knows, but like <laughs> it took you a while to say I'm ready to date. Yeah. And so it was like this big deal where you were like, okay, I'm, I think I want to try and date. 
And and then I said that, and then I was like, no, I don't. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> was people laughing. People creating because, online profiles yes, for me. I'm like, said, oh my god. Well, I mean, I, you know, I I, cr- I sat on the beach and I was like, all right, we're gonna make you a match profile, and um, that didn't really go anywhere. No. But you know, you 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 dated a couple duds before you met Joel, and um, yeah. to put it lightly, fair, yeah, that's a fair way to say. It. <laughs> but you know, and 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 I remember that kept bringing you back because. It, you know, it's funny, but at the same time, you know, you're, you're trying to move forward. I don't want to say move on, right. move forward, right. right? You're trying to continue living. And, and part of that is, is having someone in your life to share with you. And every time you thought maybe there was something there and then you took that step back, it was this reminder of, oh my God, I'm dealing with this crap again. And my husband's not here right. and I got to deal with these like, right. Right, this nonsense. Yeah. Like, it's just like... And so it's it's way different than just a single girl in her 20s that's going out to, like, date and try to definitely. find someone. Like, you're trying to find someone and also try to find someone that in some way, shape can compare to your husband. Right. And so that was, like, that was a hard time for you. And I remember feeling for you so much during that time. Yeah. But then you met Joel and... um and I just remember the one thing that Joel, I mean, there was a lot of things. Um, the first time I met Joel, uh, I wasn't even with you. He, uh, I met him. I was on an expedition. You were on an expedition. Yes. yes. And um, we came to DC and, and Joel took um, me and my family on a White House tour. And um, he was just incredible. Um, and I remember the girls were like young and they were right away. They were like, are you going to marry Aunt Amy? <laughs> you know, they were grilling him and he was just, uh, you know, he was giving took it in stride. Yeah. He yep. took it sure, in great whatever. stride. And I was like, oh my gosh. But the one thing I will always remember about Joel is when you guys got a house together and he, you were giving me the tour and you were walking me around the house and, um, you took me down in your lower level and Joel opened the door and he's like, this is Brendan's room. And mm-hmm. in Brendan's room was, it was all Brendan's stuff. Yeah. And he's like, this is where we, you know, this is Brendan's room. And I was like, God, like he's the one, you right. know, like this right. is Brendan's room. And, and we're, you know, and, and it's just like, he accepted how much Brendan was a part of your life. And right. in order for you to move forward with someone you know, right. and, and it didn't diminish the love you have with right. Joel or the, the life that you guys have created together. Right. But it takes a big person and a big guy to accept that. Right. You know? Right. And that's, you know, I always tell a lot of my other, you know, fellow widow friends that take on dating. I'm like, there's a lot that comes with that because you're not just this single person on your own. Like you, you, you have a person that there's a legacy that you mm-hmm. want to continue on, but you can find a way to incorporate, you know, yes, I have, you know, a wonderful husband in Joel and we laugh and talk about stories with Brendan because he recognizes that the only way that he and I will have a future is recognizing and ensuring that like my past is still a part of my life. Yeah. And I know that like we have mutual friends that are like, you guys do this, you know, cause he'll, he'll crack a joke, you know, like if mine and Brendan's song comes on the radio, he's like, 
oh, maybe Brendan's around. You know, he's like coming to say hi to us. And it's just little things like that that are so important to me because I don't have to be awkward about it. It's not the pink elephant in the room. Well, yeah, and you've done so many things, I mean, to honor Brendan. I mean, well, I, you, you work every day yeah, at an organization I, <laughs> that, um, but you've done so many things to honor Brendan. And the coolest part about it is like, Joel's been right there alongside yeah. of you, so proud of yeah. what you're doing. And so it's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, I think it's, it gives hope to other women that are in that first stage where they're going on those dozens yeah. of a date. Like there are people out there. Yeah. Um, that, and, and you'll, and you'll know yeah. because there's just, there is a certain person that, you know, like you said earlier, like it takes a special individual to be able to accept your past and move forward and build a future with you. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't think that's for everyone. Yeah. I have certainly learned that. <laughs> so what do you think the next 10 years looks like for Amy Looney? Wow. Gosh, I haven't been asked that. Um, you know, I, I feel like it's continuing to just grow as an individual. You know, I just became a mom a year ago. So I think that's an incredibly important role that I'm trying to, you know, bring into my life and learn how, you know, I want to set the example for her. You know, I've learned so much. I don't want her to go through a lot of these experiences. You know, I think now that I'm a parent, you know, there's a part of me that wants to guard her from getting hurt in some of the ways that I have over my life. But I also want her to have a little bit of tough love where it's like you do have to go through some of these struggles to really understand like how do you how do you actually like grow and be a good person and like have values and go out and demonstrate like the good that's out there like take out all the noise that's going on in the world but I think when I think of my 10-year plan it's about being a role model to her um, you know continuing to push the values and the things that we teach at the Travis Manion Foundation keeping that momentum moving forward, allowing and creating an environment for others to come in and and join our mission. Mm -hmm. You know, I think what I've learned has been so powerful for me. It's almost like I hate for others to not have that opportunity to experience um, what that, what that can feel like. Yeah. I think the one thing I would say is and we, we touched on it a little bit, but if if you could give some guidance out there for um, for individuals that are working around the military community, serving with the military community, you know, there's there's always a lot given around for veterans, like oh, well, you know, make sure to thank them for their service, ask them about their service. We you know talked about that around Veterans Day, and then on Memorial Day. It's, um, you know, make sure you, you share their stories and you say their names for fallen service members. But what about like in your normal day today, you're coming around and you're meeting families of fallen service members. What do you think that they're looking for? Honestly, I think that they're just looking, you know, it's not really about the appreciation and, um, the gratitude, I feel like they're looking for others to understand that there was an incredible person that lived an amazing life and maybe that life was cut short, but they want you to understand that 
it's okay to still talk about them. It's mm-hmm. okay to still go out and do amazing things in their honor. And it's okay to smile and be happy about the growth and the progress that you've made. But I think it's about never letting never letting the lives that they lived be forgotten. And I think that's really important. Yeah. You know, never I can't of course now I can't think about the the, uh, the quote, but it's something to the effect of like, you know, no one is truly gone unless their name is no longer spoken. Yeah. And that yes. I think to me, when I talk to, you know, all kinds of different families of the fallen, that's what's important mm-hmm. is ensuring that those names continue to be spoken and that people going out and taking action, being a part of the solution, don't be a part of the problem, but be a part of the solution and go out and do something, you know, to make a difference, yeah. you know, even if it's simply turning around, I had a woman at the Starbucks pay for my coffee in the drive-through the other day, and it was just the littlest thing. You, you know? know, you're supposed to turn around and pay for the person behind. I did. Behind I, you. did. Okay. I, 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 I get what's going on there. Trust me. You got to create. You got to create train, the gratitude you know? train. But it's it's simple little things. You know, I was all about. You know, I always every year around Brennan's anniversary, I do random acts of kindness in his mm-hmm. name because. It's simple, it's small, but it means something. Yeah. And I do little things that I know are meaningful to him, you know, to drop off food to the pet shelter because he loved dogs. You know, just little stuff that I always find that the little things are what make the biggest impact in life. Yep, absolutely. And that's yeah. what you say. I, I <laughs> Be say, big in the little things. Yes, if you're big in the little things, you're going to be, be bigger big. in the big yeah. things. All right, so final question, one that we asked to every We'll see how much you've listened to my podcast. You say you listen. So what's the final question then? How, how, what are what are my suggestions to living a resilient life? Oh, that was pretty good. Yes. See, what does living a resilient life Me look too. like okay. to you? Okay. Um, living a resilient life to me is really about, and I think I said this to you earlier, is that not being afraid of change. For someone like me, change was really terrifying. And I felt like the more that I became adaptable, the more that I was able to really push myself and challenge myself, the more growth I got from that change. So I would encourage people to, you know, to kind of build a resilient life, do something different, change it up a little bit, you know, learn and and figure out why did I, why did I get that feeling from some of the change that I made? Because I just feel like, Someone on our one of our staff calls, we were in a breakout group. They were like, Amy, you've gone through so many changes in the last like four to five years. And I was like, it, it really stopped me in my tracks. And I was just like, wow, you're right. You know, like I changed different roles at work, um, became a mom, got remarried, like various different things. And moved. all of a sudden, yeah, moved, lived on every coast and now in the Midwest. And I realized that I am the person that I am today because of the fact that I embraced the change and I took the change and looked at it as an opportunity to grow. And I think if you do that, I think that's how you live a resilient life. Absolutely. Embrace the change. I love that. This has been awesome. I mean, I feel like we could keep talking for like three hours. I mean, we definitely could. I don't even, I don't know. I, again, I didn't even know how to start this. I didn't know where to begin. And I just felt like, For us, you know, as we enter into, um, at the foundation, um, it's always important for us to highlight the work of uh, our survivor community, of families of the fallen. And I just thought, 
it would be really kind of cool for you and I, and, and again, we didn't get too much into this, but just, you know, I'm the president and you're the vice president of one of the nation's leading veteran service organizations. And it's not a job that either of us asked for. It's not a job that either of us wanted, but I think we're doing it pretty damn well. And um, I think that's because we have an incredible group around us yeah. that help to support us and um, and we don't go at it alone. And right. um, it's awesome to have you as a partner by my side and personally and professionally. And I feel privileged and honored that I get to share my life with you in, in every single <laughs> aspect. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for another awesome episode of the Resilient Life Podcast, uh, first in-studio episode, big one. So hopefully you'll hop on YouTube and watch this one. You can watch all of our episodes on YouTube. Um, please make sure to like, subscribe, and share. And, um, you know, I think I... I I don't dedicate our episodes, but I think this one goes out to all the families of fallen service members that we have the incredible opportunity to work with across the country. Um, if you're looking to be inspired, look no further than our our TMF Spartans who are leading the charge each and every day. And I mean, God, I'm blown away by how they honor their loved ones in such incredible ways. So... This episode is for all of you, and um, thank you. Uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Amy, thank you so much for joining us. Always. I'm truly honored to be your first guest in studio, but thank you for everything and, you know, all of that. I give right back to you. I'm honored to be your partner, but also honored to be one of your best friends. So thanks for having me.